Welcome. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We've been doing a series in February that we call Relationships, kind of a play on word, uh, uh, words, of course, on the, the, the thought of relationships. Um, and we've talked about several things that uh, they can kind of be like a, a, a ship, different topics, a ship in our relationships. Hopefully that can, that can help us. I hope it's been a beneficial series that we've been doing. I think maybe it has been, especially last week when uh, I talked about intimacy, I had probably as much response uh, after the message through the week, people asking for the manuscript and different things like that uh, to where they could forward it to some family members and friends of uh, any message that uh, I've done that I can remember, which kind of lets me know that people wrestle with relationships. Amen. Uh, And in real life, that's true. I mean, relationships can be can be tough because we live in a fallen world. Uh, the topics that we've dealt with in, in the series, we start talking about the need of relationships to begin with, the specific need that we focused on the first week about how we need to build relationships with others so we can, can share the gospel, invest our lives into their lives and share the gospel. Uh, then we talked about how it takes more than two. And that means it takes a husband, it takes a wife, but it also takes Jesus in the relationship to make the marriage all that, that the relationship needs to be. And then last week, as I mentioned a moment ago, we talked about uh, intimacy and, and some scriptural things that you probably don't hear at church a whole lot. Yes, part of the Bible. And we need to talk about uh, those issues and those things. <clears throat> Today, we're going to talk about forgiveness being based in God's purpose. But because we live in a fallen world, because we're human, uh, we're going to face hurtful situations in our lives. It's kind of inevitable that that's going to happen. Uh, you're going to have people to hurt you, disappoint you, uh, you know, let you down. They may intentionally do something uh, against you. And we've kind of got a choice when that happens. We can allow those situations in our life to cause us to be bitter, or we can allow those situations in our life to be a, a launching pad to make us better if we'll have the, the right mindset. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about, that type of forgiveness. We're going to talk about forgiveness based in God's purpose. In other words, if we would recognize when someone hurts us, that potentially God may be still on his throne, right? God's still in control. He always is. You recognize that? God has never stepped off his throne. He's always in charge. So even when you're going through hurtful situations in your life, instead of just taking it really personal and becoming angry and frustrated with someone, you might need to stop and reflect upon the fact that just maybe God is wanting to use that to bring about some good in our lives. We've got a choice to either take difficulties in life when they come uh, and allow it to build or erect uh, relational walls between us and other people because of the way they've treated us, or we've got a, a choice to uh, build relational bridges. Now, that, that you might have heard that phrase in the news this past week. When, when I was typing in the study, I thought, I, I wish the Trump and the Pope had not got in an argument about walls and bridges this past week. That is not what I'm talking about uh, in, in the message. But that happens to us. You can decide to build a wall between you and somebody who hurts you, or you can decide to uh, let it be a launching pad uh, to where God can use that situation to bring you to where he wants you to be in your life. We're going to do a little bit different kind of message today. We're going to kind of do an overview of the life of Joseph. Because when we look at the life of Joseph, we can clearly see how God was taking some very negative, hurtful circumstances in his life 
And while Joseph may not have understood it, other people may not have understood it to begin with, God was ultimately using those purposes to bring about God's plan, using those hearts to bring about God's plan and God's purpose in in the life of of Joseph. Uh, I'm going to read some verses and not going to really talk about them to start with. We're going to come back to them in, in just a moment. If you look on the screen or follow along in, in your Bible, in Genesis 50, this is on down the road uh, after uh, Israel, Jacob, uh, has died. Uh, and we'll fill in the blanks between uh, before that uh, in, in just a moment. But so when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Now, more than likely, most Bible scholars think they're probably lying at that point because uh, Jacob had had all the time in the world over about 17 years in Egypt to talk to Joseph himself. And more than likely, he didn't make that command. Uh, They're just trying to cover their backside. They're afraid because the way they treated Joseph, that now that daddy's out of the way, that Joseph is going to pay them back, do something to get them back for what they had done. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, and this is kind of the, the main focus of the message, do not fear for am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. His brothers had done what they did to him, intentionally trying to hurt him. And you have that happen in your life probably many times, but, but God can take that hurtful situation and bring good out of it. He goes on and says to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, like I said, we're going to come back to those verses in a moment. But we're going to walk through Joseph's life to get us to the point that we can see how and and why Joseph came to a point of forgiveness. So to begin with, the life of Joseph is a story of past hurts that we need to focus on. A story of past hurts. He had a lot of things happen to him that could have made him very negative and discouraged in his life and just want to, you know, kind of throw in the towel and give up. All of us have had past hurts, right? Amen. All of us have. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, some to a larger degree than others. I've had a, a lot of past hurts in, in my life. Uh, the, the issue is, and that's why I'm wanting us to kind of deal with this topic today, because forgiveness is needed in relationships. Is that right? You know, you're going to need to forgive other people in relationships. So that's why we're dealing with this topic to where maybe we can see a, a higher value, a higher reason to try and forgive other people than just, well, you need to get over it. We need to understand that maybe God was using everything that happened. So there's a lot of story of past hurts. So what I want us to do is just kind of walk through his life for a minute. And me point out several things in his life that were past hurts. And then we're going to move on and talk about God's purpose. And then we're going to talk about God's forgiveness right at the, uh, the end of the message. As we think about Joseph's life, uh, and you look back in the Bible, we don't have time to read all the story. You can take the notes, go home, and read through it later. But uh, we find out that he was the 11th child of uh, Jacob or of Israel. Uh, he was the firstborn to Jacob in, in Rachel. Uh, his name means this, may God add. And I think it's neat the way God 
um, led and controlled even the naming of children in, in the Bible. Because we're going to see in a few minutes as we follow through the life of Joseph that God takes Joseph and he really adds in a huge way uh, things that needed to take place in order that the nation of Israel would even survive a famine that was going to be on the way and all. So that, that's the first step we see in, in his life. Next, we're going to stop off and see this. He was his father's favorite son. It's kind of clear when you read the story there. His, his dad, Jacob, made Joseph a coat of many colors. Uh, you might have sang about that in vacation Bible school as you're growing up. Uh, and because he kind of favored Joseph and made him this special coat of many colors, that led to some sibling jealousy. So a side message there, and I'm not going to focus on very much, but a warning for us as parents is this. We need to be careful we don't love one child more than the other. And we don't get the impression that we do because that can bring about some very hurtful circumstances within families whenever that, that happens. Next stop in Joseph's life is this. We find out that he was a dreamer. He, he had some visions. He had some visions of, of, of like, you know, wheat that was sheaved together, uh, bowing over in front of him. And he didn't have any better sense than to go and tell it to his brothers. I mean, he's almost being like a spoiled brat maybe at that point. It's almost like he had a dream, and he thought the dream meant that his brothers were going to bow down to him. And then he kind of went and told them, hey, guess what I dreamed, you know? I, I dreamed that you're going to bow down in front of me. They're already ticked off about the coat of many colors. I, I'm just suggesting you probably didn't help a lot when he started saying you're going to bow down before me one day. He also had a second dream to where not only his brothers, but even his father and his mother bowed down. And his father kind of chastised him uh, because of that. Keep going on in his story. And we find out that because of all the jealousy that had developed, Joseph's brothers plot to kill him. They're out in the field working, and Jacob sends Joseph uh, to see them. And they see Joseph coming, and they, they start hatching together a plan. You know, why don't we just kill him here? The older brother realized that's going to put him in a bad situation with daddy because in that culture, the older brother's kind of held really accountable and responsible. So he said, no, let, let's not do that. Let's just throw him in a pit. So that's what they did. They, they threw him in a pit. Have you ever had somebody throw you in a pit? I, I mean, not necessarily literally, but we've had people throw us in emotional pits, haven't we? In hurtful pits and situations in our lives, people have done things like that to us where we feel like they've kind of rejected us and thrown us in a, in a pit. While he's there in the pit, they see a caravan coming along the way, and they come up with this idea. Well, what would make some money out of this? Let's sell him into slavery instead of killing him. So they sell him into slavery, and then they take that coat of many colors, dip it in animal blood, and, and take it to Jacob and leave Jacob with the impression of a wild animal had killed Joseph. So at that point in time, as far as Jacob knows, Joseph has gone from the scene. Next stop in his life is this. That caravan goes into Egypt. And now, Joseph is sold into slavery in Egypt, in Potiphar's house. Potiphar happened to be a captain of the, like the special guard for Pharaoh. Does it sound like to you to this point that um, a positive thing is happening in the life of Joseph? Does it sound like that everything that he's experiencing is going to be something that God's going to bring good out of? I mean, at this point, to be honest with you, it kind of stinks, doesn't it? <laughs> but put yourself in, in, in Joseph's shoes for a moment. And, and you had these dreams that God was going to maybe do something grand through you, and, and instead you're, you're hated by your brothers, you're thrown into a pit, and now you're sold into slavery, and now you're taken into Egypt, and you're sold into slavery in Potiphar's house. 
Next story in Joseph's life is this. Because of Joseph's character and probably maybe uh, wisdom, he's put in a place of authority in Potiphar's house. Over all the servants, over all the slaves, managing the household. But there's a little issue taking place. Potiphar's wife thought that Joseph must have been a pretty good-looking guy. And she started plotting and scheming in a way I think he probably knew about it, that she was wanting to have sex with him. And he kept kind of trying to push it off. But then there came a day that I think probably Joseph made a little bit of a, of a personal mistake. I heard Kenneth Ridings years ago preach a whole message on this topic in a revival service at Lewis Fork Baptist Church in Wilkesburg. And it was quiet enough you could have, you could have heard a mouse walk through the, through the sanctuary as he was preaching it. And he was just warning us as men and women, too, we better be careful what circumstances we put ourselves in because Joseph went in the house when none of the other servants were there. And it just made the possibility, the danger, because he already knew she was coming on to him for something to happen that, that didn't need to happen. She reached out to grab hold of him. The Bible says that, that he ran out of his garment. Now, we're not told how much of his garments. I don't know if he's running around the yard naked or what, but he runs out of his garment. And she is so offended that he was not receptive of her. Here's what she does. Potiphar's wife screams rape. Now, who are they going to believe? The wife of the guard or are they going to believe Joseph, who's a slave? And as a result of it, Potiphar has Joseph put into prison. Once again, I want to ask you the question. Does this sound like positive stuff happening in the life of Joseph? Does it sound like God is leading to a good place or does it all sound like it's just a, a bunch of junk, tragedy, terrible circumstances, a lot of hurt that he's having to deal with? And yet in the next step in Joseph's life, even though he's put in prison, we find out that God has a purpose in it all. It's not just a story of past hurts. The life of Joseph is a story of God's purpose. We need to hold on to that as a possibility to give us hope when we're going through hurtful situations in life. We need to hold to the truth that just maybe somehow God is in the midst of the negative, bad situation that we're going through, and God wants to bring something grand out of it, something good out of it. Instead of God trying to hurt us, instead of us getting bitter, God might be working in our lives for good, and he might be wanting to make us better, and he's wanting to do something that brings glory to himself. You've heard people throw out in kind of just a haphazard way, I'm sure, Romans 8, 28. And it lets us know that all things work together for good to those that are called according to God's purpose. And that's not just a little equation we need to throw out when people are going through bad things. It doesn't say that everything's going to work out good for you simply because you love God. It says it's going to work out according to his purpose. You see, God is interested in his purpose, not your comfort. God is interested in what his goals are, what his purpose is in your life. And that's true in the life of Joseph, and it's true in our lives. And that's why when we're going through difficult situations, we need to hold to the hope that just maybe God's doing something good with this. Because if we don't hold on to that hope, it's going to be very easy to become frustrated and angry and mad and bitter in your life. So we need to know when we're going through past hurts, it still might potentially be a a story of God's purpose. I want you to notice how that's true in his life. Even in Joseph's hurtful circumstances, God blessed Joseph, even in prison. God puts him in prison to where 
he winds up really having a position in the prison because of his faithfulness and everything to where he's kind of helping oversee some of the prisoners. Two of the ones he has a lot of interaction with happen to be the baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh. Now, evidently, they had made Pharaoh angry or upset him about something. I don't know if the cake didn't taste good that the baker fixed for him, and he decided he's going to put him in. If the cupbearer maybe spilled wine on Pharaoh or whatever the case is, but for whatever the reason is, they wind up in prison. It could have been a whole lot more going on than that because, you see, uh, in kings and pharaohs and in, in things, the baker was there because he had to be trusted or he wouldn't poison the king or pharaoh. And the cupbearer sometimes would even have to take a drink of the cup before even the king or pharaoh would take a drink of the cup to be sure it wasn't poison. So we don't know what had happened, but we do know they're in prison. And while they are in prison, they have some dreams. Each one of these men have dreams, the baker and the the cupbearer. And they're really distraught because of the dreams. And, and Joseph hears them talking about it. And he said, well, tell me what your dream is because God is the one that has wisdom. And they tell him the dreams. And, and then Joseph interprets the dreams to them. Now, for the cupbearer, it's a pretty good outcome. He, he said, your dream means that you're going to be getting out of prison. You're going to be restored to your position with Pharaoh. But for the one that was the baker, his dream didn't turn out too good. He said, your dream means this. Pharaoh's going to take your head off. <laughs> you know, you're not getting out of here. You're not coming out on the other side of it. And he winds up being, being hung and executed for whatever the, the reason is that he, had, uh, that he had done. But even in those circumstances, you see, God is still in control. God is still working this out for good. When he interpreted the dreams, he told the cupbearer, when you get out here, please remember me. The cupbearer got out, and he's so happy about being free and restored his position. He totally forgets about Joseph for about two years. Then Pharaoh himself has a couple of dreams that really has Pharaoh troubled. And the cupbearer hears Pharaoh talking about it in that turn the light bulb on and that cupbearer remembered, hey, there's, there's a guy man in prison by the name of Joseph and, and he can interpret dreams. So Pharaoh said, go get him and bring him here. And he, Pharaoh told the dream to Joseph, the two dreams. And Joseph said, here's the meaning of them. One is that there are going to be seven years of plenty. Two, there's going to be seven years of famine. And God is letting you know this to where you can prepare for the seven years of famine. So because of his wisdom, Pharaoh does this. He says, all right, Joseph, I'm putting you in charge of all of it. And, and Joseph had areas built to store the grain. And he took a certain amount of the excess in those years of plenty and set it aside where it would be available to them when the famine hit. Not only does he do that, Pharaoh puts him to where he's like second in command in Egypt, in all of Egypt. And he puts a signet ring on his finger that represented the authority of Pharaoh and a gold chain around his neck and garments uh, upon him. And, And he even gives him his second chariot. It's not like he said, well, go out there to the junkyard and get him something to ride around in. He said, go get him my second chariot. And he gave it to Joseph to ride around in. And everywhere Joseph went, people would have to announce his coming and they would have to bow before him. Pharaoh even gives him one of his daughters to marry. Hopefully that was a blessing, you know. 
But now, are, are you starting to see a change in the story? He had all these past hurts. But because God used them to get him in the position he needed to be in, God had him exactly where he needed to be, where he can interpret the dreams of those two servants of Pharaoh in prison that led to him being able to interpret the dream of Pharaoh himself. God was working through the whole circumstance. He had him in the right place at the right time. And even though he had all those previous hurts, he winds up being promoted to second in command. And all the things I told you about a minute ago, that sounded like a pretty good outcome for someone that had been uh, hated by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, accused of rape, thrown into prison, and now all of a sudden you're second in command in Egypt. That's a pretty good turnaround, isn't it? But what I'm trying to tell you, you need to hold on to the hope that God is using the very negative circumstances in your life. But that's not the end of the story. Joseph has a couple of children after he marries Pharaoh's daughter. And I want you to notice what he calls his children. The Bible says this in Genesis 41, 51, and 52. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. And then he tells us what it means. He said, God has made me to forget all my hardship in all my father's house. He named his second-born Ephraim, and then he tells us what it means. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Do you see that? He, he is saying that all that I went through, it's okay. All, all the affliction I went through, I, because of where God has brought me now, I can forget about all the past junk that I faced. He's saying, right in the midst of my affliction, right in the midst of being in this land, God has blessed me. God is helping me. In the, he's made me fruitful in the very place that I have these negative circumstances. And what I'm wanting to encourage you with is this. Try to hold on to that in your own life when you're facing difficulties and problems and trials that just maybe God has you there for a reason and it's going to be okay. You might not see it to start with. You may not even understand it until you see Jesus face to face. But God is still God, the same God that was God over Joseph. He's still on his throne and he's still in control of whatever it is we face. That's still not the end of the story. Remember the guys that sold him, his brothers that sold him into slavery? Well, now, fast forward a little bit. There's been seven years of plenty. Now they're two years into the famine. And the same guys that Joseph had the dream about would bow to him, guess what happens? <laughs> Jacob, their father, tells them, you need to go into Egypt and see if you can find some food to eat or we're going to starve to death. And they go into Egypt and they're brought before Joseph, but you see, they don't know it's Joseph. They've not seen him in a long time. He probably looks a whole lot like an Egyptian, maybe the, the way his, his, his hair was fixed or his beard was cut and the, the clothing that he wore. They had no idea who it was, but Joseph knew them. So the dream that he had years ago before all the negative stuff happened now is coming true. And these brothers come in and they kneel before him. And here's the story in Genesis 45. 
And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now, a series of circumstances happens before that. I need to point that out to you. He kind of tests them and, and intentionally gets them in trouble to where they are forced to go back and get Benjamin and, and, and come back and, and everything. So uh, there's some other events that's taking place before we get to this point. But on the other side of all those events, when they've come back and they brought Benjamin, which happened to be his younger, complete total brother, not a half-brother, he said, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers couldn't answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. <laughs> Put yourself in their shoes for a minute. That'd rock your world, wouldn't it? You're kidding me. We threw in your pit. We sold you into slavery. I mean, there, there's no way. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into, into Egypt. Now, you can you imagine them wondering, what is he going to say next? Because of his position, he could have said, guards, come here, take them, throw them in prison. Guards, come here, take them and execute them. Because of what they did to me. But he says this to them in verse 5. Now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Man, what a statement. If we, if we could remember that when people mistreat us, I'm not saying you let them off scot-free and you act like they didn't hurt you. I'm saying this, you get over it quicker if you hold on to the fact that maybe God is in charge and God is using it. He's made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all his house, a ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord over all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, uh, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you. For there yet five years of the famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all the honor in Egypt and of all that you've seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. See, Benjamin had not done anything to him. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. But notice this. And he kissed all his brothers. And he wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked to him. You see the restoration that took place. Even though all the hurtful circumstances were there, when we bring forgiveness, God's forgiveness through our lives to bear in hurtful circumstances, there can be a great restoration. Did you see how Joseph viewed the past hurt? Here's how he viewed the past hurt. 
He said, it wasn't you that did it. You didn't really do it. You intended it for wrong. I'll read that again in a moment. But God was the one that caused it to happen. God was in control. God was in charge. God brought me here for a reason so I can keep you alive. So God can continue to bless the nation of Israel. We need to learn that and practice that type of forgiveness. Go back to our original reading. I'm going to kind of just paraphrase down through some of it that I read to start with in, in Genesis 50, verse 15 through 21. When, when the brother saw that he had died, we're years down the road now, about 17 years down the road, and finally Jacob dies, and his brothers are worrying now because daddy's gone. He's going to pay us back. He's going to get us for what we did to him in the past. They come to him and they kneel and say, look, we're your servants. Please don't do anything to us. Please don't hurt us is basically what they're saying. But here's the point of what I read earlier. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. Now, you can read into that. He's basically saying, I'm not the one to judge you. I'm not the one to pay you back. God will. We need to remember that when people hurt us. I'm not judged. You're not judged. We need to trust God to take care of certain circumstances and situations. If you try and take care of it, it's just going to bring more hurt and more bitterness into your life if you try and take care of it yourself. And he goes on. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. That's what they intended. But God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Once again, look at how he deals with it. What a lesson we have to learn. Here's a stupid question on my behalf. But has anyone ever hurt you? Has anyone ever intentionally hurt you? And probably everyone in this place would have to say yes. I've got intentional hurt in my life. I've had people hurt me at work. I've had people stab me in the back. I've had broken relationships. I've had problems in my family, even maybe after there was a death of a parent or whatever. Regrettably, that happens many times. I've had a breakup of a relationship, a breakup of a marriage. I've had a lot of hurt to hit me in my life. I've had a lot of financial problems. All, all of us, it might be different circumstances, but every one of us could have to say that someone has meant evil against us. But here's my second question. Have you ever stopped to consider that just maybe God let it happen to make you who he wanted you to be and get you where he wanted you to be in your life? First series, I've alluded to this before a few weeks ago. First sermon series, full sermon series I ever did after we started Day 3 Church. I was talking about dreams and vision because I felt like maybe God wanted me to talk about that. And I was doing a character study of Joseph's life thinking I need to talk to this new church about dreams and vision. I thought that's what I was doing. And then God brought me to this passage of Scripture that I just read a moment ago. And the Holy Spirit said to me, I didn't have you preaching this series necessarily because Day 3 Church in its infancy needed to hear about dreams and vision. I had you preaching this series so you would be confronted with these verses today. And you'd recognize that people maybe did intend evil and things that they had done to you. But you need to understand this. I meant it. For good. 
And I became convicted over that. I remember telling my wife that I probably need to go and tell some people, even in past churches, not just one church, but past churches, uh, it might shock you, uh, church members aren't necessarily always really good people, you know, sometimes. And treat you the way that you think you ought to always be treated, you know. Uh, Church members never gossip, never say anything negative about anybody. You recognize that. It never happens, right? But I, but I realize I probably ought to go back and, and, and tell some folks, I forgive you because I, I realize now what was taking place. You might have thought you were doing it for evil, but God was really in control. And God did it to provoke something in my life that I might not have ever stepped out on faith to try and start a church. Uh, what I'm telling you is God might not have me where I am doing what I'm doing today if it were not for wrong intentions that other people might have had, wrong actions of other people. But you see, I can look back on it now with total forgiveness because I recognize God was using it. God was in control of it. And what I'm asking you to do in this message today, the reason I'm kind of confronting you with that is for you to understand that just maybe you've been through difficult circumstances and you've had a lot of hurts, but just maybe, just maybe, just maybe, God was in charge all the time, making you who he wants you to be. It's a story of past hurts, Joseph's life is. It's a story of God's purpose, of God being in control even in the negative circumstances in your life. But I want to change gears a little bit and work toward this thing we call an invitation in churches. (laughs) And we can also see this from the life of Joseph. It's also a story of God's forgiveness. See, Joseph, most Bible scholars see him as a type or a picture, a representation in the Old Testament of Jesus. Because there are things that happen in the life of Joseph that parallel with the life of Jesus. And I want you to think about some of those things before we give an invitation today. In in Acts chapter 2, verse 23 through 24, The Bible says this, Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan in the foreknowledge of God. Now, let me stop just for a second. Just like Joseph's brothers thought that they were in control when they threw him in the pit and they sold him into slavery, they were not. God was really in control. And just like when Jesus was handed over, and Jesus was given up, and Jesus was betrayed. It looked like men with evil intentions was in control. They weren't. All they were doing was fulfilling part of God's passion play. What God had intended all along. They were delivered up, Jesus was delivered up to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Joseph was raised up out of the midst of all of his circumstances. God raised him up, raised Jesus up literally after he was nailed to the cross. Loosen the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God was in control of the life of Joseph. God was in total control of the life of his own son. God in the flesh who came into this world when he was nailed 
to the cross. And everything that happened to Joseph was part of God's purpose and God's plan, and so it is with Jesus. Everything that Jesus faced, coming to his own, and his own received him not. Being beaten and abused, everything that he faced, being nailed to the cross, all of it was part of God's plan to begin with. In order that we might have God's forgiveness. Amen. Thank God for that. I want you to think about three words. Mercy, or really four words. Mercy, free grace. I've got to add the word free in because that's really important. And forgiveness. In the life of Joseph, instead of him seeking revenge on his brothers when he could have, he offered mercy to them. Instead of just... Being merciful to him and not kill him and say, well, you go, go, away, you go your way, take care of your problems and everything like that. He extended free grace to them. He said, I'm going to care for you. You move here. I'm going to take care of you and everything else. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. They deserved the exact opposite. But he gave them free grace. And Joseph extended forgiveness to them. And in the same way, Jesus had offered us mercy. We didn't deserve mercy. Every one of us deserved a lot worse than prison. Every one of us, because of our sins against God, we don't deserve mercy, but God gives us mercy. We don't deserve free grace. We can't earn it. We can't merit free grace. There's no way that we can grab that for ourselves. God offers it to us freely through our faith in Jesus Christ, and he gives us forgiveness, total forgiveness in Jesus. Think about three more words. Think about love, care, and provision. Love, care, and provision. Because Joseph, as you saw earlier, proved his love to his brothers by saying, I forgive you, I'm going to care for you, I'm going to take care of you, I'm going to provide for you, you go get all the rest of the family, all your children, all your livestock, you come here, I'm setting you up in Goshen. And he cared for them and he provided for them. Now things got worse later because that Pharaoh died and another Pharaoh came up that Joseph didn't know, and I'll allude to that in a few minutes. But still in this story of Joseph, we see him providing love and care and provision for his family. Romans chapter 8, 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how he not also with him graciously give us all things. Yes, by faith we can trust in Jesus, and yes, he gives us salvation, but guess what? He gives you more than just salvation. I'm not minimizing salvation, but he gives us all things. He loved us enough to put his son on the cross for us. How much more is he going to care for us? Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Just like Joseph cared for his brothers, God, Jesus, cares for us. He's got love for us, concern for us, provision for us. What you think about another word? Trust. Trust in God's word. Trust in God's word. After the father died, we read it just a moment ago. His brothers felt like they didn't have an advocate. They didn't have someone to protect them, to stand between, to to keep Joseph from coming after them and paying them back. So what they did was this. They go to Joseph and they present themselves like, we're your servants. Please don't hurt us. And all those actions after Jacob dies, it makes me want to ask Joseph's brothers a question. Guys, what's up? Didn't you hear what he'd already said? He already promised you he'd forgive you. 
He already promised you that he would care for you. He already promised you that all that was in the past. He even told you that even though you thought you were doing it, God was really the one that was in charge. So, so why in the world are you coming doubting it now? You see, so the, the reason they were doubting is because they evidently really, really, really didn't believe Joseph's words. And in a similar way, I see people all the time, I have through years in the ministry, that somehow struggle with taking God at his word. That believing he's really giving you mercy. That holding on to the fact that he's really giving you his free grace. That all of your sins are really paid for. That he took care of everything on the cross. And people will walk around for doubts, for years with doubt in their heart. 17 years has passed from the time Joseph said, I'm your brother, I forgive you, until the time that Jacob dies. So evidently his brothers all that time had been walking around with a little bit of doubt in their heart. Wondering if he was really, really going to forgive us. If he's really, really going to keep his word. Or now, since our dad's died, is he going to take our lives? Is he going to pay us back for what we've done? See, Joseph's brothers doubting Joseph's words is no different than a Christian doubting God's words. I've had people say things before like, uh, I, I really feel like God's abandoned me. Maybe they say it because they've had a fall or something happened in their life. I've had people say things before like, I'm sure God, <clears throat> I'm, I'm not sure God's forgiven me. Now, I kind of want to ask people when they're doing that, well, tell me what God needs to do to assure you. Does God need to perform a miracle? Because if so, you need to remember something. Satan can pull off false miracles. So just because you see a miracle doesn't mean that God's keeping his word to you. Would it help you if God spoke from heaven? Well, yeah, that might help me. Guess what? He has spoken from heaven. He's spoken in his written word, and he's spoken through his living word, Jesus Christ, who is nailed to the cross in your place for your sins, and through faith in him, you can have everlasting life. He has clearly spoken to you. So instead of running around with guilt in your life all the time, instead of walking around being, being worried and, 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 and carrying this burden over yourself, you need to remember something that God promised that he would forgive you when you trusted in Jesus Christ. And you need to hold to that forgiveness to those promises instead of walking around doubting whether he's forgiven you. Now, that being said, I want to walk through some verses, just read some verses to you, make a couple of comments <coughs> before we sing a song and ask you to really listen to the Holy Spirit this morning for him to deal with your heart. The Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. It says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and hearing by the word of God. I don't know if y'all can see it over here. For some reason, evidently, we lost that... Uh, I don't know if the projector got turned off or the bulb went down on us or what. So uh, anyway, um, once again, if you need the notes, if you'll email me, I'll send you the notes. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, by the word of God. So that being true, we need to consider some things. If faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, then, then listen to what God says. These things, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know not that you may guess, but that you may know you have eternal life. I, I point to that a lot with people when they're saying, I, I don't know for sure God's forgiven me. See, he, he's, he's written these things so you can know. 
My, my own mother asked me one time, well, how can you know for sure until after you die? I said, Mom, it's too late to know then for sure. You, you can't back up and punt. Here's how you know, because he's told you, he's written in his word, he's promised you. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. For I'll be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. <laughs> now, that'll thrill you, because unless you're trying to act like you're better than you are. That thrills me. I know things I've done and thought. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Thank God. Amen. <clears throat> Romans chapter 8, verse 38. In 39, for I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, let me paraphrase that. There's not anything you can do, anyone else can do, that anything can happen on this earth or in heaven that can ever separate you from the love of God if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. You need to hold to the promise of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one can boast. Did you catch earlier what Joseph's brothers did? After the dad dies, they come to him and they kneel down before Joseph. And they say, we're your servants. And more or less, they're, they're saying this. Give you a parson's paraphrase on it. They're saying, we're your servants. Please don't condemn us now that daddy's dead. We're your servants. We're presenting ourselves before you. So because we're your servants, then accept us because we're your servants. You see, that was a work to do that. That's the same thing that the prodigal son tried to do when he went home to daddy. He he said, take me back because I'm your servant. I I don't deserve to be your son. I just want to be your servant. So just take me back because I'm willing to submit myself as your servant. You see, it doesn't work like that. And that's why the father in that story would have nothing to do with him saying, I'm your servant. Because it is not based upon us being a servant that earns us salvation. It's by the love and the forgiveness and the free grace of God. That's what provides our salvation. So them trying to say, we'll be your servants, that's not what they needed. They needed just to trust in the word that Joseph had given them. We need just to trust in the word that Jesus has given us, that God gives us. John chapter 6, verse 37. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He has said... I will never leave you nor forsake you. When you read that in the Greek manuscript, it literally says something like this. I will never, no, never, no, never, no, never, ever leave you or forsake you. It repeats it several times. That's the the strength of God's word telling us he will never forsake us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses, in a circumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. What's that saying? That's saying you were dead because of your sin. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus got up out of the grave and you trust in Jesus. Along with Jesus taking his life back up, you are giving life yourself. 
through the life of Jesus. Having forgiven us all our trespasses and canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside. And here's how he did it. Nailing it to the cross. That's why you can have hope of salvation. Joseph went through a bunch of negative circumstances, and yet he offered forgiveness. Jesus went through the most negative circumstances anyone has ever faced, the sin of all mankind, and he did it in order that he might offer forgiveness to you and me. All we've done today is kind of walk through a story of the life of Joseph. When Joseph saw his brothers bowing and saying, we'll be your service, the Bible said he wept, he started crying. You see, it hurt him because he had already told them, I forgive you. Like I said a moment ago, for 17 years, they must have been walking around with doubt. Hey, I wonder how Jesus feels when we act like we don't believe him in what he tells us. Joseph wept, but Jesus did so much more for us. How dare we ever look at Jesus and say, I don't believe you. I I can't accept what you've done. Some of you might have been walking around with doubt for years. I want to encourage you this morning that you get over that, that that you put that out aside. I want to encourage you to get over circumstances and things that's happened in your life that you just think it was all mean and hurtful and nasty stuff. I, I want you to recognize God had a purpose in it. You may not understand it. You may not see the ultimate goodness and God's glory in it until you see Jesus face to face. But the same God that had a purpose and all the negative stuff that Joseph faced is the same God that's still in charge today. I say this until now in in this story about Israel going into Egypt. Most Bible scholars estimate that there were somewhere around 70 in Jacob's family, in Joseph's family, Jacob's family, his other sons and their, their children, their offspring. See, if you have that many sons, you get a lot of grandchildren. And they say there's about 70 of them went into Egypt. Things were good to start with because Pharaoh liked Joseph. But as I mentioned earlier, that Pharaoh dies and there's a new Pharaoh on the scene. He didn't know Joseph. He didn't care for Joseph's offspring. So around four... For around 400 years, they're there in bondage in Egypt. About 70 go in. We're told in the Bible at the end of 400 years, there are 600,000 men. When Moses leads the children of Israel out, 600,000 men plus women and children. Most people estimate that would be about 1.2 million people that walked out of Egypt. They did so with a high hand. They did so carrying away the the wealth and the livestock and things like that of Egypt. What I'm trying to tell you is this. That's the big picture. It would look very negative, not just to Joseph, what he faced, but to the children of Israel being there making the bricks and everything like that under the taskmasters for all those years. But God was in control and God was blessing them. Even though Pharaoh wanted their babies thrown into the crocodiles, they were protected and God blessed them and controlled the situation to where 70 went in and 1.2 million go out. I'm telling you, God is a great God. And God can take the bad stuff in your life and turn it into being something greater than you can ever imagine. Let's pray.
Father, forgive us when we doubt. Forgive us when we hear your word and we, even though we might say sometimes we believe it in our head, it falls short of our heart and short of our actions. Lord, I know there are people here today that are hurting because of the number of people here. God, if there's just one person here, if it was just me here, God, all of us have faced negative circumstances in our lives. God, help us instead of becoming bitter to allow you to take the circumstances and make us better. God, help us to hold on to the truth that you're at work in our lives, even when someone might have intentionally done us wrong. They might have really did it for evil. They might have intentionally tried to hurt us. But God, help us to hold on to the hope that no matter what someone else has done, that you're still in control and that you want to bring something grand out of it, something glorious out of it. And Lord, help us to use that hope to forgive others. Instead of harboring ill will, instead of harboring jealousy and bitterness against people that have hurt us, help us to look higher than that and understand that just maybe you're using it in a way to give us great hope. Father, if there's anyone in this place this morning that has never trusted Jesus, or maybe there's someone in this place this morning that has, but they're still walking around with doubt, and they have for years because they're they're failing just to completely take you at your word. Father, I pray you give them the faith they need today to take you completely and totally at your word to walk away from the guilt, to walk away from the doubt. And you restore completely in their life everything that sin is broken. And give them the hope that they need to step forward following Jesus for the rest of their days. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> right before we have... Uh, a time to ask you to think about the message and think about how God might be speaking to you today. I want you to understand something clearly. I'm not saying that every bad thing you face in your life will always turn out for something good to where you perceive it and you understand it's good. I am saying this. If you hold on to the hope that God was in charge of everything that you faced... It'll help you to deal with negative circumstances and forgive others quicker than you will if you just stay frustrated and angry about what somebody's done. If you'll think maybe God's in charge, maybe God's going to do something good with it. So during this time of invitation, why not, why not deal with whatever the Holy Spirit brings to your heart? There may be someone that you can think of right now you need to forgive. You may need to go to them and see them and tell them that you forgive them and ask for their forgiveness. I had to do that myself about a church that I pastored. And it was then that I found freedom from whatever it was I faced. Maybe you need to do that yourself. Maybe you need to come and kneel and pray and say, God, help me to forgive others. Help me to 
Consider that you're in charge and you're bringing good out of it. And if God impresses you to come, I know you can stay back there and pray, but you know, sometimes God might use your movement to provoke something in their life. So if God's leading you to come and kneel and pray about something or someone you need to forgive, why not do it today? Especially if you need God's forgiveness. Why not take God to his word? If you've been walking around with doubt, let's get over the doubt. Believe God means what he says. And take him completely at his word that he offers total forgiveness for you through Jesus. Please stand. As God speaks to you, please come. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.